1: That bass, that music, you know what that means. Oh, that music means this is the steam
0: room presented by Tiso, the official watch of the NBA. But this is certainly not Ernie Johnson. This is Tim Kiley holding it down this week for Ernest while he's on a well-deserved vacation. Of course, I'm joined by the legendary sort of Charles Barkley.
1: Man, I'm so glad we got rid of Ernie. No, I thought I thought we bamboozled. We were hoodwinked. We were led astray that he would leave us. Hey, listen, man, been dragging me down for years. I mean, like twenty of them, but I got hey, I got new power now. I got new superpowers. We got a great group of guests. Oh yeah, surprise guests. Oh. Rick Mahorn's coming on. This is going to be beautiful. One of my one of my people. I can't wait. There you go, Chuck. First of all, let's get the thing started with first of all. First of all, you know you have a lot of money when you get hunting nut Cheerios. I've had the regular Cheerios. First of all, you know anybody ride a motorcycle who makes millions of dollars is an idiot. First of all, zero plus zero is zero. First of all, hey, man, I got up early this morning to watch the Masters, and I just want to thank the Masters for letting my man Lee Elder, an all-timer, be an honorary starter. Uh, It made my day, made my week. I've known Mr. Elder forever, and for him to finally get his just due and be an honorary starter, uh, it just meant the world to me. He's the first Black man to play at the Masters didn't get there to age 40 because they had a Caucasian only rule on the books back then. And he finally got there at age 40. And I just want to thank the Masters Committee for recognizing him. You know, him and Mr. Charlie Sifford, uh, Jim Thorpe, Jim Dent, Calvin Pete, Calvin Pete. Oh man, Calvin Pete was hitting that thing. I mean, I just want to thank all those black golfers who never got their just due. And I couldn't imagine playing under those circumstances when people are moving around and throwing things at you and kicking your balls into the weeds and things like that. I just want to thank them for all they contributed to the game. They made it for Tiger. Uh, Tiger number one, get well soon. You you the GOAT. And uh, we're all hoping you get well soon, my brother. So uh, just shout out to the Masters for recognizing our man, Mr. Elder. It was a great move. It was a great move. What else? Secondly, you know, I don't even know this guy, but I like him. His, His name is Mr. Jack Hanna. Uh, the zoo specialist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think that he's um, in Cincinnati, if I can remember off the top of my head. But I read the story, his family released a statement yesterday that he's retiring from public life because of dementia. And man, that's an awful tough disease. And I just want to say I'm a fan. I've seen him on, I've watched his show a hundred times. I've seen him on talk shows a hundred times. And, you know, the love he has for these animals is just... Uh, it's amazing. He goes back there with uh, a man from uh, Mr. Irvin, who Irvin, who died a few years ago over in uh, Australia. Mm. And, uh, you know, some people, man, they just love animals. And for what Mr. Hannah has done for the world and for zoos around the country, around the world, I just want to say thank you. I never got the pleasure of meeting you, but I am a fan and uh, I just want to wish him the best. I want to wish his family the best because that's an awful disease. Uh, but I want to acknowledge him for, for all the things he did and made made me have joy. So thank you to Mr. Jack Hanna. That's uh,
0: nicely said. Charles, it was Steve Irwin in Australia. Steve
1: Irwin. Oh, man. Watching his show all those years, man. The passion. And same thing with Mr. Hanna. Like, one of the reasons I really like Dick Vitale is, man, his passion for basketball when we had Masayu Jerry uh, on the show on the podcast earlier he said something really profound and I tell my friends this and he says my number one goal is to do the job i got the best all the other stuff arise up but he says too many people when they're trying to get a job they're so worried about the next job they don't they suck at the job they got And I thought that was really profound. Like everybody wants to start at the top. Sure. He says, I wouldn't worry about getting the next job because I know that if I do the best I can with passion, energy, and intellect, I'm going to get upgraded. And Mr. Hannah, Mr. Irvin, and um, Dick Vitale, when I see them do their thing, man, they got so much energy and passion. You know they love what they're doing. And uh, so I just want to shout out to Hannah's family and tell them I was thinking about them. That's great, Charles. As we roll
0: on on our podcast presented by Tiso, the great and talented Allie LaForce coming up next, Chuck. Nothing like a stand up bass and a stand up young lady to join us. The great Allie LaForce. <laughs> if you can help me out, Allie, and take it from here, oh. that would be much appreciated. I don't know how you can take it, but if You're you can. You're leaving
2: take it, me alone with Charles. Yes.
1: Stay, All hey, thank alone. you. Thank you, legendary Mr. Kylie. Hey. One and only PK. Allie LaForce is on the Steam Room podcast. Hey, listen, I'm so happy to have you. I'm so sick of Ernie. I mean, he's been dragging me down for 20 years, Allie. 20 years.
2: We
3: all know know the truth behind that, Charles. We we all watched the docuseries.
1: Yeah. Oh, that was awesome. How you doing, buddy? Uh I'm uh, I am doing wonderful I'm done with the madness which never ceases to amaze us Shout out to Coach Drew and and the Baylor Bears on a wonderful, wonderful season. But don't want to just let Gonzaga go by the wayside to get to undefeated to the championship game. That was a hell of a season.
3: You know it's Gonzaga, right? This is why this is why you need Ernie Johnson.
1: Well, well see, listen, uh, you know, listen. It's a little school up in Washington State, so they should not be worrying <laughs> about a little mispronouncing here or there.
3: Out of control. Baylor was really impressive, though. I watched the. Uh, the game where they were, I want to say, two for 13 at the half from three. Yeah. And they still won that game. So that's what showed me this is this team's a real deal, that if they're not hitting, they can still find ways to win games. And if they are hitting, you better watch out.
1: I think that was the Villanova game. It was. And, and Villanova played great the first half, and they could not make a shot. But then Baylor just turned up their defense in the second half to a whole other level. Well, that that's one of the reasons, you know, you knew that Baylor was going to be uh, – because I picked Baylor and Gonzaga – To get there in the end, nothing I saw throughout the season was gonna persuade me to pick any other team. And I, we saw the two best teams, but man, they they when they were making shots, that thing was a quick wrap.
3: I thought UCLA was incredibly impressive too. Just everything they've overcome. No seniors. There wasn't a single player on that team that had a game of NCAA tournament experience coming into it. And you know, Johnny was dealing with the ankle sprains on an every other game basis, and they fought to the finish. I mean, they those kids. They have, they have confidence like they are a Gonzaga undefeated team coming into this tournament, but they weren't. You know, they weren't they weren't picked to, to finish high in the conference, and they just defied all the odds.
1: Well, number one, that was the best game of the tournament. Everybody's making plays, going back and forth. I mean, there was probably six or seven plays in a row down the stretch before Jalen made the half almost half-court shot, but that was one of the best games. But shout-out to Coach Cronin because – to beat an Alabama team that was terrific, to beat a Michigan team that was terrific, and to give the number one team all they could handle. So take your hat off to my man Jaime Jaquez. I'm nailed sorry. It. Now yeah. we just gotta
3: get Gonzaga Gonzaga right, but that you nailed that one.
1: You know, those people up in Gonzaga act like they won the championship. They shouldn't be in the, they're not in a position of power to be trying to correct people right now. They should be glad I'm mentioning them. They didn't win. I'm mentioning them because they had a great season. Uh, But man, I tell you what, this is our 10th year doing March Madness. And the first weekend is the weekend for hell. There's a lot of work. But man, this tournament never ceases to amaze me. It's flat out incredible. I'm glad to be part of the crew. Uh, it was just an amazing tournament. We didn't even talk about Orr Roberts. We didn't even talk about Lowell or Chicago. Uh, we didn't even talk about the brothers from Eastern Washington, or somewhere the Groves brothers.
3: Yeah, it was it was a really fun adventure. By the way, we need to get into something outside of the NCW tournament, Charles. When I returned from the NCAA tournament to a nice establishment in Houston where I was eating dinner. There was a woman I ran into that owned a clothing store and she supplies some of my jackets, which you have become very fond of, by the way, for me. So shout out to Alpha Meet Style. Anyway, she said, how is it working with Charles Barkley? And I said, he's the GOAT. He's the absolute best, most kind person, hilarious. I consider him a great friend. And she said, okay, because 15 years ago, I was in a bar in Texas And he was sitting at the bar with his friend, and I mustered up all the courage inside of my soul to go up and say hi to him. And he totally blew me off, and I haven't recovered for 15 years. It was the most embarrassing day of my entire life. What do you have to say about this, Charles?
1: You know, I think I'm the nicest guy when people come up and talk to me number one, obviously, I don't remember. I must have been having, and I try not to ever have a bad day publicly, because you never know who you're going to meet in my bright air day. I'm not sure. See, the problem is, Allie, I don't know if she's telling the truth. That's, that's why I wanted to get to the
3: bottom of it, because I've been in bars with you. I've been at arenas with you. You literally are the kindest human on the planet, and I have uh, never thank you. seen you say no to anybody ever. It's what makes you one of the most special humans
1: there are. Yeah, but it's like, but, but but I tell you this, but like, see, sometimes these people, when they walk up to you, they want to have a conversation with you instead of just saying hello. Right. Hey, nice to meet you. Blah blah blah. Like, if I'm out to dinner with you and the crew, if somebody comes up and say hello to me, I'm gonna give them a quicker hello. I'm gonna try to be cordial, but then I'm gonna get back to my friends. I hope that she was not one of those people be like, no, I need you to pay me some attention. Exactly. So like I say, I don't think I was mean to anybody, but sometimes you meet a person, they're like, well, I want to keep talking to you. Like, no, nah, I don't want to keep talking to you. I'm here with my friends. Yeah, I said, exactly. I, I said hello to you. It was, And I appreciate you wanting to meet me. But that's it. This conversation is over.
3: So I texted Charles. And luckily, he was in quarantine in, in India. And that was quarantine when you're stuck in a small room for however long. It's just not very fun. You have plenty of time on your hand. So he was kind enough to FaceTime with her. She went on for hours about how it made her date All is forgiven. She loves you. She's the biggest fan of Charles. So... The one time you were mean, all is forgiven.
1: I, you know, it was, I'm so glad. Cause like I said, I don't, everybody wants everybody to like them. And if somebody came to me, like I try to always be cordial and I'm glad I got a chance to apologize. I mean, Hey, maybe I was just having a bad day and it, it, and she's correct. So, Hey, listen, that was really not. That was hilarious too.
3: You were so nice to do it. She, so the next day. I didn't even realize this, but I guess her birthday was Easter Sunday weekend. And she was like, I had the best, most fabulous birthday weekend because Charles Barkley called me and said that I was wonderful and all is forgiven. And so you not only did you make her day, but you made her birthday weekend. So thanks for doing that. No,
1: thank you. Hey, listen, any friend of yours is a friend of mine. What
3: you were saying, when people want to come up and have a conversation, my favorite is in baseball, when they come up to the players and they say, hey, could you sign a ball? And if the player is nice enough to say yes, they say, sure. Do you have a ball? And they always say no. Like, do they think you just walk around with a box of balls and a Sharpie, right? You know, it's like, at least be ret. or when people say, hey, can I get a selfie really quick? And so you think, yeah. And then they're like, where's my phone? And then they ask their significant other to grab the phone out of the bag and then they don't know how to do the selfie.
1: <laughs> well, you know what drives me crazy about that? I think part of being in a limelight is sign autographs and take pictures. And I try to always be cordial. Well, let me tell you something. When people have their phone on the timer, I really want to bash them in the head. I'm not going to lie. When you're standing beside some random stranger and they got their phone on five suckers, I'm like, yo, man. Just take the damn picture. And you can see the numbers counting down. That drives me crazy when people have their phone on a timer. I'm like, come on, man. And now you
3: have to be careful because if the camera's on live, people can look back to whatever you were doing a couple seconds before the photo, yeah. too. So you really got to be on your best. Hey, thank you for wearing a, um, a new shirt, by the way. That was so nice of you. Did you do that just because you knew I was joining you?
1: I didn't know if you were going to have a jacket on or not. I mean, I, mean, I want to look presentable, but you, you always dress exquisite. Uh, and I love your I love your jacket game.
3: You're the best. This was fun. Thanks, Ernie, for letting me hop in. Thanks, Charles, oh, for having this me. Is,
1: this is so much better than Ernie. I'm just telling you. I'm mm-hmm. sick of Ernie. Ernie,
3: don't leave me again. Don't leave me here alone again. But it was fun, Charles. Coach, your Barnes is coming up. A special, special
1: Special, guess. special guest.
3: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Steam Room Podcast. We are all collectively as a group trying to hold it down for Ernie Johnson. That is a tall, tall task.
1: No, it's not. It's the best podcast ever without Ernie.
3: Don't act like
1: this is the best day. You've been crying all
3: night that your eyes are a little puffy. I can tell. You miss Ernie.
1: I do miss Ernie, but uh, I'm excited for our next special, special guest.
3: That's right. We now welcome in Arizona head coach Adia Barnes, who just took her team to the national championship game for the first time in
2: school history. Thank you so for joining us how has it been coming off of this ride it's been amazing it's just been so busy because now recruiting starts and it's just been no rest at all but i'm happy about that
1: you know coach this is a facetious question you kind of been just chilling for the last year of your life during the pandemic you know leading the team to the final four having a baby it's been a crazy, amazing ride for you. It has. You know, it's funny
2: because the pandemic alone has been so different. Honestly, the pandemic has been devastating. But I finally got like to rest a little bit during the pregnancy. But then having the baby when everything started, it was just a challenge just because she couldn't meet anybody. She never has even been held by my parents. So that was different. But it was just a year that's gone by so fast.
3: When you guys upset UConn, I remember you saying, No one thought we'd win. No one thought we'd be here. And I loved when you said, We don't care. It's part of maybe who your personality is, just that like that fight, that grind, the underdog. How did you get that to come through for your players on the court?
2: It's just who we are. I really don't care what people think. I didn't care. It's kind of us internally. Like, we have some dogs on our team, we always say. We fight. We're not afraid. And we just kind of put it all out there. So I think we just surprised a lot of people, which was okay. Being the underdogs is a lot easier than being the one expected to win.
1: Going to Arizona, getting to the Final Four, was that your expectations when you took the job? It was not. Because
2: when I took the job, we were one of the worst in the country. We were like a 300-something on the RPI. We hadn't been good in 10 years um it was hard to recruit here i was told by all my friends like in the business do not take this job because you know as a black female you get one opportunity you don't get recycled it wasn't a high paying job it was um it was the lowest paying job in all power five and we hadn't been good. So it, I kind of took a chance, but I thought we had the resources. And I chose Arizona. So I always say I chose it twice. And I thought, I knew I could recruit. I knew I was going to work. So I thought we'd be good. But I didn't think we'd be good in five years. I thought it would take seven, eight years if I lasted that long.
1: Obviously, when you and Don played each other in the Final Four, it was a big deal. Having two great coaches uh, who are Black women mm-hmm. uh, playing against each other. What was that The excitement like during that game?
2: It was it was just amazing because during the final four, knowing that it was the first time, so it was the first time for a lot of things. First time, former two WNBA players had made it to the finals. First time, two black females. So there was a lot of things. Me and Don would laugh and say, "Wow, we have some um, big shoes to fill." But it was just a, an amazing opportunity. You know, it would have been even historic if we would have played against each other. But we were both rooting for each other, supporting each other. We have a great relationship, and we just want to see each other do well. But um, It was a grid to make history with her because she's someone I really look up to.
3: You said I represent black people. And you also said I represent moms. And I mean, when I heard that you were breastfeeding at halftime, I was so impressed because, see, Charles works during halftime, but he has the whole game to breastfeed. So it's not that <laughs> big of a deal for him. Because- yeah, he's
2: not rushing. No, but you know what's funny? So I wasn't breastfeeding. I was pumping. So I didn't have time before the game because all the media stuff. So during the game, I was like, gosh, I need a pump. So I ran back and I pumped for five minutes. This is the funny part. I pumped in the back, obviously talking to my coaches, but then like I unplugged the pump and I had to go out because we only have 10 minutes, you know, more for halftime. So I go out to like with the players and I have like the, the pants free bra with the pump attachment. So like your boobs are kind of in there. And then I have the blanket over and I'm talking and it falls off and everybody started busting up laughing. Thank God I'm not shy, but I was like, oops, sorry. And then they were like, they were laughing and stuff and so it was just it was a moment that they'll never forget i'm sure but yes they saw it all
3: while you're pumping is that full consuming or are you also thinking of the plays you're going to be drilling up and what you're going to tell the team when you finally come out of the
2: bathroom no i'm so used to pumping like it's not even a thing i'm just doing the plays looking at the stat sheet while i'm pumping it wasn't it's not even a thing they used to hurt now you're just so used to it it's not even um, an issue so i was talking to coaches strategy writing down things while i was pumping
1: so let me ask you a question you talked about Black women getting coaching jobs. How far do we need to go to get just more women coaches in the, in the women's game?
2: There's a, a long way to go just to get women in the game, um, former players. There's just not a whole lot of us in the game. So I think that, you know, giving, giving opportunities and um, resources. And like I played 13 years pro, so I started coaching later on in life. So I think that just the opportunities and when we're given opportunities, we flourish. And I think it shows right there with Don and I. Don and I just being able to, to reach the level we did and be on a national stage. And I think for me, being a mom, being a former WNBA player, I think it just shows that you can do it all. Is it challenging? Yes. I mean, you see stuff like this, but we can do it. And we can do it at the highest level and be successful.
3: For all of our listeners who can't see right now, Adia's son has joined us in the room. He's given mom a big hug. That's Mateo.
1: That little kiss was the most adorable thing, wasn't it? It It's really good timing,
3: right?
2: When
1: you were talking about being a great mom. He always does this right when I go on something that's recorded. It's just
2: like, that's like, okay, so this is life in COVID at home. It's like he was like in every Zoom. It was embarrassing.
1: So how are you handling recruiting? Are you able to do in-person recruiting or is just Zoom right now? It's just Zoom. Like
2: it's it's been Zoom the whole COVID. It's been dead since till the end of May. So nothing, just on Zoom, watching videos. It's been a challenging recruiting.
3: I think it's interesting with, um, with the women's game. You know, you talked about so much history being made. There's still so much to be made. And it's almost like there's so much to give you an, an edge in the women's game because of the things that you mentioned. We obviously saw the photos circulate from the NCAA tournament of the women's weight room compared to the men's weight room. Um, you know, what are some of the other big steps that you think the women's game needs to make?
2: Um, Well, I think it's funny because a lot of those things as just a female athlete and a coach, you don't even notice it because it's always been like that. I remember I played at Arizona. Our locker room was very different than the men's locker room. That was just kind of the way it is. So you're oblivious to so much because it's been so many years. And I would have never done the comparison in the Final Four. So I just would have thought, oh, COVID. So when I saw the comparisons, it's a huge disparity. When I don't think it's like it doesn't cost that much money to have another weight room. And it was so easy. We saw it was fixed in 24 hours. So I think that I think women can't always be an afterthought. I mean, like me, like I'm a mom. We're women. We have babies. (laughs) That's like what we do um, at some point in our life, you know? So there has to be like I had to count my child a part of our 34 to go to the NCAA tournament. I'm a head coach, so I can dictate that 34, but women around the country had to leave their kids because they can't ask their boss to take two places so there's so many things where it's just women are an afterthought it needs to be at the forefront because we are it is women's basketball now if it's men's basketball then it could be an afterthought but it's we're women's basketball so it's just a lot of things have to change and people need to have accountability in it
1: when did you guys realize that y'all were left out of the final four video well with my play i don't notice that stuff
2: my players first of all we were left out of everything (laughs) So charles before that so they were talking about our region. No one mentioned us. And I was like, oh, hell no, like to myself. They didn't mention us at all. And then in the video before that for the Sweet 16, we were playing a and They showed the last shot was a and with a trophy. And then we, and then we played A&M. So um, that was that. And then the NCA video was later. So we weren't talked about in anything till the very end, like totally disrespected. But I didn't care. It was motivation. I was kind of like, okay, let's go, whip, you know, let's go do what we do and show everybody to respect us. So we did that.
3: Yeah. I mean, that's just another reason to give you guys the edge. Like you said, it's easier to be the underdog in your opinion, because you have so many reasons to fight. But now that your program's made it to the national championship game, people know who you are and know what's coming for you. How do you keep that edge in your players? Is it about not only the way you coach, but the type of kids you recruit?
2: Yeah. But remember, so these kids were kids that no one really recruited. So all the kids I went to the final four with, they were kids that came to the program when we, when we weren't good. They were kids that chose to come here and take a chance at Arizona. Like a lot of them, like Sam Thomas, my starting three had one pack 12 offer. It was Aerie. Ari came to Arizona, but Aerie wasn't the Airy. She was a role player in Washington. She came and took on a different role. So these kids are not like top five-star kids. They were kids that are hungry, want to leave a legacy and do something special and just gritty and fought. So we're, I'm going to recruit the kids that I feel like can do those little things, but there's a couple things I don't coach. I don't coach. I can't coach and motivate you. So I shouldn't have to motivate you. You should be motivated so I can coach you. So I look for those things. And just players that want to play hard and aren't, aren't afraid. They're like relentless.
3: But you are a great motivator because that moment went viral of you in the huddle.
2: I know. God. <laughs> when you saw
3: that it went viral, what was your
2: reaction? I mean, I was a little bit embarrassed, but like I wasn't going to apologize for it because I was I was pumping up my team. And I basically told my team, we believed in each other. Look around, the you know, look around unless us. We believed in each other. And I just basically said, F everybody else that didn't, you know, look what we're doing. And I said something else, but like, it was for my team. So I'm not going to apologize, motivate my team in that moment with my team. And I kind of said, well, if the parents that didn't like it, then don't send your kid here because I probably don't want to coach your kid. So it's like you, I, I, that moment was special with me.
1: I just was a little embarrassed. You know, you just said something so profound. And I don't think when I, cause I love listening to coaches because mm-hmm. I think coaching is really, really important. You says, it's not my job to motivate you. It's my yeah. job to coach you. Like, I tell people, I've been on good teams and bad. I played the NBA for 16 years. I've been on good teams. I've been on bad teams. If the coach's only job is to get you motivated, you're never going to win. I said, no, man. His job is to put us in a position to win by coaching us. But if you don't have that work ethic, you're never going to be successful. And, and and I just love the way you phrase that.
2: Yeah, it's uh, like I, I just don't want to have to do that. The players I have, I don't have to motivate. I can coach them the correct, because if you're having to beg someone to play hard, then they're probably not going to be good and your program's not going to be good. So I think our players play hard. We are, they're they're motivated. Like Aries a dog. Like we fight, we compete, we do all those things. So I think that that should come natural. So I look at the intangibles, like how do the players react when things are tough? How do they respond to their teammates? Are they on the bench with an attitude? Are they on the bench cheering on their teammates? All those things are things that I look at when I'm recruiting a kid. So it's just important. I don't, if we didn't have that mentality, we would have never gone that far because we weren't the best team. Every other team was better. Every other team had more talent, but we were just, we were fighters. And I think that's what put Arizona on the map. And that's what got people to fall in love with us because we didn't give up. We were down by 10 by Stanford. In the championship, and we just fought it out, and it was ugly, and I don't care. I loved another
3: thing you said, which is I'm, I'm not going to apologize. I think that's something that you and Charles have in common. You are intelligent, you speak your mind, and you don't apologize for it. Uh, but what makes me laugh is another thing that that you guys might have in common. We'll see your thoughts on it. Is people compare your game to Charles Barkley's game, and I'd love to hear your reaction on that.
2: Charles, this is a highlight being on the on the podcast with you guys. They used to call me the female Charles Barkley when I was in college. I wasn't nearly as good as you, but that was like my compliment.
1: Well, that's an awesome compliment for me.
2: That was the compliment. I was like, when they did that, I was like, wow, like he's so good. Charles, you were a beast. You uh, were a thank beast. You. you you were so good, and you were a you were undersized. You weren't afraid. So I I mean, when they told me that, I was like, yeah, I embrace that. So I'm looking for some more undersized players like, like your mentality, Charles, for
1: sure. Well, number one, I want to say thank you for the compliment. I want to thank you for making Arizona proud. Obviously, I'm a proud Arizonian for, for life. Uh, And if you get to Scottsdale, we need to play golf or just say hello to each other in person. For (laughs)
2: sure. I would love that. Ali, thanks. And thanks, Charles. And it's really fun. If I could have the courage to say half the things you said, Charles, I'd be a better coach. (laughs) (laughs) Because you are brutally honest and I love that. I would have played for you any day.
1: Uh, Thank you, Coach. Hey, and congratulations on a wonderful season. And you take care of yourself. Enjoy a little downtime. Thank you. Thanks, you guys. all right guys i got a very special guest very special very special there you go tk you're learning one of my best friends been a friend for a long time rick mahorn welcome to the steam room oh well thank you at least i know somebody can get in the steam room your big ass (laughs) wouldn't get in there i don't even want to start with you tk hey no tk hold on i want a public apology for because when I'm listening to you on the radio, you always tell this story that I was too soft to hit Michael Jordan. Oh, yeah, you was too soft. I don't want to hear that shit, Charlie. Hey, Charlie, I don't on, want to on. hear it. First of all, Charlie. hey, Rick, I, see TK, I, we, when we playing together, we get ready to play the Bulls, he says, we got to hammer Michael Jordan. Chuck, every time he comes down the lane, knock the shit out of Michael Jordan, I'm like, Rick, I'm the star of the team. I can't be getting in foul trouble. C.T.K. He had himself six fouls, he had Lambert six fouls, he had Robin six fouls, he had Sally six fouls, he had James Edwards six fouls. I'm the only one got six fouls who can't get in foul trouble. So I want a public apology for you bashing me on your radio show. Nah, I don't even wanna hear that. Hey, listen Charles, listen, let me let me tell you this. a boy. I may have had six fouls with the bad boys, but one thing that I know, if you weren't physical with Michael Jordan, I ain't asked you to knock the crap out of him. I just said, I want you to hit him. And if we hit him, you know good and well they ain't going to call a second foul after I hit him. Come on, Charles. This ain't this. is What? What are we talking about? Oh, intentional foul. We Man, forget that. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. And I ain't apologizing. To you. Yeah. You wanted a championship. I was trying to help you.
0: <laughs> Chuck, I, I, I got a question for Rick. What's up? Your big starting moment was the bad boys, but before that you were with Washington mm-hmm. among one of my favorite old players, Wesley Unseld.
1: That was my daddy. That was my daddy. I miss him so much. It was, you know, coming from Hampton, coming from a Division two school, uh, you know, institutionalized, as they say. You know, learning from him, Learning how to be a physical being even more physical than you were, but also cutting off the court. I mean, West was like six, like Charles height. Well, no, Charles 6'3. But uh, you know, <laughs> West was like six, his real height was like six six, but man, running into him was like running into a brick cylinder. I'm like, man, this dude, well, how can I beat him? And he's already beating me up. So one day me and this guy, Carlos Terry. My, when we were rookies, him from he was from Winston Salem, and we said tonight, today we're gonna hit, we're gonna beat West's ass, we're gonna hit him every time he runs out of court. Four arms shiver, we feeling good, feeling vibrant. Man, we left out of there, we hitting him, and West hit us and said, Oh, yeah, that's what I like. Man, I'm sitting there <laughs> going, like, My eyes got big, Charlie and, and TK, so it was like. All right, so we, we get home after practice. We couldn't even lift our arms. We couldn't lift. we couldn't even move because he beat us physically. But he never told us until about seven or eight years later. He said, You know, you guys are crazy as hell because I couldn't get out of bed. My wife was mad at you. I was like, Oh my gosh, Wes, we were, thought you just didn't feel it because we were hurting, man. But Wes was, uh, he taught me how to be a professional. And I know Charles knows. From uh, playing with a Moses Malone, a Dr. J, that is valuable. The leadership and, and also the veteranship of teams to you know for players to be successful. this league. you got to have a mentor, but you also got to have a father. And, and Wes will always be my dad. I give him all the accolades. A guy that accomplished uh, one thing that only two people have gotten—that was the Rookie of the Year and the MVP of the Year. Man, come on, man. Him and Walt Chamberlain. Now, you, we already know Will Chamberlain's the God. Now you got, uh, okay, well, well, here's Jesus Christ. Now so <laughs> This was crazy. Yeah, I actually feel the same way about Moses. So, But this is a uh, Moses with my dad. He made me the player I was, so I could never thank dad. I called him dad every time I saw him. So, Rick, this is a serious question. I want you to be honest now. Don't lie. Out of the bad boys, how many of y'all could actually fight? <laughs> See there, you go. Wait, I'm gonna answer, answer it seriously. I can fight. I know I can fight. The rest of them were like, mm, but I can fight, Charles. You re- look. You, he's gonna say, ain't hey, none of them that tough. I beat him, Charles. I fought. Come on, man. I went to a uh, Division Two school. Wait, Oakley, hey, myself, and Ben hey, We Hey, I'm willing to give y'all. I will give y'all five guys. You oh. Buddha will fight. I, to he's. A, I'm gonna give you the list. All right. You, one, Buddha, two, Isaiah, three, Mars, and Benny Johnson. Benny four. That's five, fool. No, nah, no, nah. four that you named that I would pick as. Fighters. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, I'm gonna lead that i listen now. Yeah, what it is, Charles? It's not that they would fight. They weren't. Uh, you. You gotta figure out the way we grew up. You grew up down in Leeds. And knowing that, you know, hey, you struggled. Your mother hustling to get everybody, you know, you know something. Your shoes was raggedy, your shirts was right. But you know what? You never knew we were poor. Oh, yeah. That was the thing. But I grew up in the hood. Vinny grew up in Brooklyn. Uh, Buda grew up in Seattle. And, you know, Lambeer had a goal. You know, would he fight? Yeah, he would fight you. Oh, see, this is one of my big bones of contention. Lambeer would fight, but he was always getting beat up. I ain't never seen him land a punch. But you asked, hold on, hold on, you asked him would he fight? I ain't say he gonna win the fight. Because every time I've seen some highlights, he was the E, not the puncher. Well, yeah, but come on, Charles, in the fight, it's always gonna be a E and a puncher. It's just if you're gonna win the damn fight. I know when I fought, I was fighting to win, especially when I fought the Chicago Bulls bench. I was I was not taking any shit from them, nothing. They went from my, yeah, I, I filed Jordan. I, and you wanna know something? I didn't give a shit. Michael Jordan was just like everybody else. Hey, I used to tell people, when you played them bad boys, you had to call your family and say, hey, I love y'all in case you never see them again. <laughs> I was living at that time, obviously in at that time, but until I watched that last, the last dance documentary, I'm like, yo man, uh-huh. that's why Michael Jordan's the GOAT, like they whipped the shit out of him three years in a row before he finally got it together and he didn't complain. He just got bigger and stronger. Now guys get tossed out of game. They get suspended for like half the stuff that you go back and look at some of those old videotapes. I mean, those are just like, oh, wait, he going to get suspended? He going to get tossed out the game? Nope, you are going to get two free throws. They had to change it a little bit. It was like, you know, every team back in the day before you got in the league had a goon. It was like, all right, you got six fouls. Go in there and, and and do what you do. You're getting paid to play for six fouls. Oh, yeah. TK, did you watch that Baylor-Gonzaga game? Yeah, we were covering it. Listen, let me just say this to you. All you saw was that was some street ball. Yeah. All I know, Baylor was like, oh, who are you, Gonzaga? Oh, please, you ain't meet us yet.
0: Lockdown.
1: They went in there with that attitude like, I don't care who you are. We're going to f- your ass up. And that little dude was vital that they said, oh, that's Charles Barkley. I was like, yeah, because you know what? He ain't take no shit either. It was like, he ain't moving. I talked to him after the game. I said, yo, man, you set that tone the first two plays of the game. Yeah, when you got those first two offensive rebounds, they're like, oh, we can't keep him off the boards. I mean, and and they were so, listen, Mm -hmm. that, that was a physically dominating performance. It was beautiful to watch. I hate it for Gonzaga, but listen, The one thing I noticed during that game, uh, Gonzaga can't beat them. You know, you like sometimes one team plays better than the other. If they played ten times, Baylor would win eight times. I mean, that's how physically dominating they were. It was impressive to watch.
0: Hey, Brick, I had a question for you. Yeah, TK. After you got traded to Detroit from the Bullets, you weren't real happy. But what was the moment when the switch went on and you realized it was a different culture, it was a different – You you had a chance with this team.
1: You know what? I hated this city because it was ugly every day. It was the damn weather was all (laughs) shitty. You wake up, it's snowing, it's cloudy, and it's gloomy. And, you know, really, I thought I would be established down there with the Beef Brothers, with Jeff Rulin down in Washington. But, you know, I had to learn the the business of basketball. So that was my first year getting traded. So when I got traded up here, I hated I didn't like Beer. I hated Isaiah. I tried, I knocked his teeth out. I, it was just before the All-Star game. I hit him with a bow in his mouth and knocked all his front teeth out and didn't care. But it was like, okay, I'm playing with this. I'm, I'm up here and I'm sitting there going like I'm gonna eat my way out. And Charles, I was the round mound of fucking big rebounds back then. <laughs> I went from, I went from like 250 to 310. I was like, I didn't even want to be here. They had to go get some special pants, and put, some, <laughs> put a vent in it or something. <laughs> Man, I was dying. But, you know, I realized that I'm in a place where I can win. So I lost weight, came back in, in great shape, and next thing you know, we went to the Eastern Conference Finals. Then the camaraderie started to build. It's hard to have a team uh, that already had the pieces, and then we drafted Joe Dumars, and then it was uh, Sally, and Sally and Rodman. And the next thing you know, it's like, oh shit. When did you uh, realize like, man, we're really good. We can win the championship. That was the year, Charlie, when uh, uh, Chuck Daly inserted me in the starting lineup. Next thing you know, we started playing. And then we traded Kelly Trupuka and got AD.
0: Bad man.
1: AD, Adrian Dantley was my professional. Other than Wes teaching me how to be a pro, A.D. taught me how to be a professional, how to you know, maximize you know what you can do. It's like, you ain't got to dump the ball during warm-ups. No, nah, that's what, look, it's only two points, man. What you, you going to do, Horn? You know, you can't get your first foul until the six-minute mark. You know, try to save it. So I learned from him to, you know, to beat it. So he's, him and I were the, the small forward and the power forward. We had Beer, And so Beer was, like, getting his ass whooped, like Charlie said. And then one day when, when Robert Parrish took a three-piece and I said, you know, Lamb, I said, Lamb, uh-uh. I'll take this shit because nobody going to hit you even though, you know, you're my teammate. But we built that relationship yeah. where it's like, I'm going to protect you. And that's what we do in the NBA. When you got your teammates, you want to protect you. Some teammates, you go like, I ain't getting in that shit. Let him get his ass with me. I don't like him any damn way. <laughs> so so and I, that's what, you know, when we when we fight, or not necessarily fight the physicality. I was like, damn, we can win a championship. So you, you mentioned Chuck Dayton. I got a chance to play for him and get to know him a little bit on the Dream Team. What was it like playing for, what y'all call him, Daddy Rich? Daddy Rich, man. He was the good look child. There's only two coaches in this league, or three. But I, I really didn't know. But the ones that I really made an imprint on that I loved was uh, Daddy Rich because he was just so cool and so smooth. And, and, and Jimmy Linum, that little leprechaun used to get on my nerves. And you and him would go at it, just like, Jimmy, when you want it, you want it now, or do you want a game time? But it was – you were – listen, Jimmy Lineham was fun because he demanded for us, but Chuck, he, he's, he made us accountable for each other. So if you ain't doing it, play – every practice, play for your minutes. Play for your – didn't matter if, you're Isaiah, if you Isaiah, if it was Lambert, Joe. Play for your minutes. We'd be in practice, Charles. You remember, practice was like, we played practice like it was a game. we go at the, the first team like, oh, man, y'all suck. we going to whoop y'all ass every day. But it was, Chuck was like, man, he made us accountable and it made us better, you know, as better players. And and that's why, you know, we won, you know, one championship and they won two. But if you had hit Michael Jordan, we would have probably won a championship Philadelphia, you know. I'm just saying,
0: <laughs> you guys moved to Philadelphia together. I got to ask this question: Minute Bowl, just one story.
1: <laughs> oh. That's what he called me, Charlie Barkley. He called him Mr. Mahorn. Oh my gosh! <laughs> hey, TK. No matter what went wrong, f- you fucking Americans. <laughs> hey, the plainly, You fucking Americans. First of all, he was. So, we had two teammates that are both passed away. Two guys, TK, that me and Horn played with, Derek Smith and 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 Manute Bowl. two of the best guys I've ever been around. Being with those guys every day was the funniest shit that I ever been through in my NBA career. Dude, those two guys, they were they they were the best. Charlie, I miss him too, but tell him about the time we were on the bus and he said, "I'm gonna whoop your ass." I'm gonna I mean it's like he, <laughs> he took the bat out and he's gonna try to swim cynical and he just trying to whoop your ass. I I, I need to Charlie, i whoop your ass. I'm sitting there gonna, like, is he gonna take the uh, <laughs> Charlie, Charlie Barkley? That was my name. Hey, wait a minute. Remember when he said he killed the lion? That shit happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He said the lion was dead damn, already. Damn. He was an old ass lion. He said the old lion that was blind, was blind, <laughs> crippled and crazy. He's like, I killed it with a spear. No, it was a whole yeah. line. It was old. <laughs> they set you up. <laughs> Dude, you had listen, when, when just playing with you and TK, I, I look at this all the time. People ask me, wasn't it great to win a championship? I said, Yeah, but it was the bond that I had in Philadelphia. It was like nonstop. It was like we get on the bus, we talk about Fred Carter, we talk about uh Ron Anderson. We talk about little and that little Scotty Brooks used to him and, and Johnny Dawkins and Hersey Hawkins used to come in our room, order room service, charge movies on your damn on in your room, and then leave. I said these motherfuckers. <laughs> Hey, TK, this dude uh, this, this dude was hilarious, man. Rick, I don't want to take
0: any more of your time, because you and Charles will go on forever. I wanted to thank you for joining us.
1: This is great listening to you guys tell stories. We've been together a long, I've been retired for 20 years now. But playing with him. Love you. Hey, I love you, brother. You are welcome back to the Steam Room anytime, my man. Hey, it would be my pleasure to come on here. It don't matter, man. It's- you always wanted a story about Charles. I got a billion of them. Uh-oh, I like it. We have some good ones. I love it, I love it. The great Rick Mahorn. Thanks, Horn. Sensors will be hard at work there, Cap. That
0: was awesome. Ah, that bass, Chuck. Thank you, TSO, as always, for sponsoring our, what are we on now?
1: Episode 14 of season two, Chuck. Can only go downhill from here. This is my favorite podcast ever. I mean, you're just so much better than Ernie. Podcast just got better.
0: Any chance I can get a free (laughs) bottle of booze from you for my work here? Redmont or you want the Vulcan gin? Vodka gin? Uh, Redmont sounds good, but we actually have a a phone call here from a person who's a little worked up and needs some programming help. So Uh I think we're going to have some breaking news after this one. Cap, play the clip.
1: You've reached Charles Barkley. Leave a message, America.
0: Hi. Um, my name is Sam. I'm a, uh, I'm a lawyer at, a, uh, at the Nevada State Legislature out here. We're in the middle of a uh, uh, session, so we're working a lot. Anyway, I tried to record the inside story, and, and it said it was recording, and then it didn't. This is incredibly disappointing. I mean, I'm working like 15 hours a day loyal steamer here so i really don't know what to do i know you guys don't control this directly but man if you can get them to rerun it or make it available in some kind of format i've been looking forward to this for months this was my the only thing i could think of to do is to call you and leave this message uh thank you very much i love the podcast man that's a highlight of my week
1: so what's the breaking news the breaking news is it's now available on demand on HBO Max. You know what, TK? I actually haven't seen the documentary, and I've been wanting to see it. You have not seen yourself? I have not seen myself. I'm not big on watching myself, but I thought that they, they, I watched it. Actually, that's not true. I watched the first episode when we got off that night, and then it was the weekend. I'm mm-hmm. not going to sit at home like, like a loser on the weekend. That was the weekend my daughter was getting married. Well, Chuck, you got to sit down and watch a few episodes. Actually, I'm glad you told me where I can find it. Because like I say, I watched the first. The first episode was amazing. But I'm really looking forward to catching up the other three. Because the clips that we have shown on the show have been amazing. And I had so many people come up to me and say how much they loved it, too. I might actually binge watch it this weekend. So one more time for our friend Sam the inside story is now streaming on hbo max and it's available on demand on the tnt app nobody can remember everything they did for 20 years and that's the thing i'm really looking forward to because some of the clips that i saw like uh like i don't even remember that and uh and (laughs) stuff so i'm i'm really excited and i can't wait thank you audrey another episode in the books boy hey I love it man I told you my favorite episode ever Ernie been dragging the Chucks of down <laughs>